Welcome to part two of the Restorative Approaches discussion as part of the National Center for Youth Opportunity and Justice School Responder Model podcast series. We're back with Avery Irons from NCYOJ, Leslie DeMartin from Renew Accelerated High School, and Alan Delery from the Center for Restorative Approaches. Renew Accelerated High School is a public charter high school in New Orleans, Louisiana, serving 250 students who are overage and undercredited. In the first podcast, the discussion focused on Renew's restorative practices, implementation processes, and lessons learned. In the second podcast, we will discuss the school's implementation goals and challenges such as reducing racial and ethnic disparities in school discipline and building staff buy-in for restorative practices. Today, I'm speaking with two staff members integral to Renew's implementation efforts. Leslie DeMartin is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Louisiana and Renew School Counselor. Alan Dellery is a facilitator and trainer for the Center for Restorative Approaches, also located in New Orleans. The Center for Restorative Approaches provides training, consultation, and direct resources around restorative practices to schools, communities, and justice systems. What we're talking about at the moment makes me think about um, why a lot of schools and jurisdictions are being drawn to restorative practices and, you know, I think it ties back into the conversation about cultural competence and um, cultural awareness and understanding about uh, the overrepresentation um, of marginalized groups in schools and overrepresentation in terms of uh, exclusionary discipline usage. So Black and Latinx youth, Native American youth, boys, young people with special education. Um, can you talk about the relationship between restorative practices um, as an alternate um, that attempts to uh, kind of address this overrepresentation in terms of usage of exclusionary discipline? Well, for one thing, when I think about that question, uh, we have the idea that if you don't suspend and you look for other opportunities uh, to be able to address the needs that students would have, any student that you would reduce your uh, suspension rate and you would keep students in the school. So we think it's really important for you just to have the idea that you are going to look for ways to uh, address those needs of the students and not simply to suspend. Uh, and in doing that, you also have to think about implicit biases that we might have individually. We might have the intention on not to just suspend, but if implicitly we have these biases that there may be something wrong or an expectation that a student will act a certain way. Uh, we'll find ourselves looking for and catching the times that they are doing wrong rather than identifying those times that they are uh, doing what, they, what all students are able to do, and that's able to, to learn and uh, build community with one another. I think the big thing is talking about implicit bias. So throughout, throughout the years that I've been at Renew, um, again, it's been a transition. It's um, it's building a community and building a community that is willing to work with students in a non-traditional way than kind of like the punitive school system. Um, and I think all of that comes, it's from that growth mindset and also the ability to have difficult conversations or difficos as the kids like to call them. As a school, I think our leadership team has done a, a really spectacular job of addressing implicit bias in education. Um, last year and the year before, we had professional development days with a organization called Overcoming Racism, 
Um, and those were days where the entire staff was called. We did not have students. Where we were really talking about implicit bias. We were talking about systems of racism and oppression um, in our country, around the world, and also here in our school system. Um, and I think, first of all, the presentation was fantastic. Um, they also have a very awesome Instagram page. Um, but I think it was so effective, not only because it was a wonderful presentation, um, but because we had buy-in from the entire school um, who were really willing to have these difficult conversations, engage in topics that are are uncomfortable. And I think, again, there's a difference about reading something in an article about um, exclusionary discipline, about... Um, suspension rates for our our Black and Latinx students um, about exclusionary discipline for special education students. Right, it's one thing to read it; it's another thing to talk about it and have it be open in the table, uh, have it be on the table and discuss it as a school. Um, I also think it was you know very important to have someone else, an outsider, come in and talk with the school, um, so you have that. Um, you kind of have the, the 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 separation between the school and the outside facilitator to have those conversations. Um, so I just think that's very important. It was it was wonderful for our school. There were difficult conversations to have, and they were difficult presentations at times. But I think we all grew together as a community to be able to look at our own implicit biases and to also refocus on our mission of why we choose to work here, why we choose to work in education, um, and also why we choose to go with restorative practices instead of a more traditional punitive disciplinary practices in other schools. What you just said, actually, if I'm thinking about it from the perspective of a teacher um, who's got standardized testing and a classroom full of students um, who all have varying needs and, you know, varying rates of learning and all these things that, you know, I would have to do as this teacher, when we think about learning restorative practices or restorative approaches and we think about kind of addressing implicit bias, which is key, what advice do you have um, for teachers that have limited time and energy um, about implementing restorative practices? What advice or kind of motivation um, rationale would you give them? Um, my advice is, you know, be patient with yourself. Um, implementation doesn't happen overnight. Again, it's that translation of theory into practice. Um, you don't wake up and you are miraculously a teacher guru who can handle every situation and, um, and is calm in all situations. Um, I think what I try to support my teachers with and frankly support myself with too is like seeing seeing the human, right? Seeing the human in yourself. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to maybe react in situations when we shouldn't. Um, and taking those moments instead of beating up on yourself to say, okay, this is a growth moment. This is a moment where I can look back and figure out what I could have done differently. And I've also found, you know, for myself pro professionally, the moments where maybe I said the wrong thing or maybe I did the wrong thing. Um, and have been able to go back to a staff member, a student, or a family and say, look, I wish I had handled this in a different way. Those are actually opportunities to open up those doors where, um, where, where, you, where you show your humanness. Um, I'm taking every interaction for good or for you know, good interactions or maybe some negative interactions to take that as a moment to grow. Um, and again, to show the human side of yourself. 
Um, you know, as a teacher, you don't wake up one day and it's, you know, it's not the matrix, right? You don't have everything plugged into your brain where you just walked into the classroom. I think um, trusting your gut, um, being able to learn how to regulate your own emotions, um, and also being in a place that where you make a mistake, taking that as a moment where you need to reflect and learn how to um, how to react differently or how to maybe look at the situation differently um, after some time and using using that moment when maybe things didn't go so well um, to to repair harm and to use that situation to grow and continue to build a relationship with students. Um, I would also say, just a quick plug, reach out to your friendly school counselor, um, your administration. If you feel like you need help, like the support team is there to help you as well. Um, so you're not in this alone. And I'd like to add to that. Um, during our trainings, I always point out to teachers, usually at the beginning, that much of what you're already doing is restorative. You may not have put that label or that tag or that name on it as restorative, but a lot of what's already happening, uh, teachers are already building relationship with, relationships with their students. Uh, a lot of teachers are already providing that care and support. And that's one of the things that we emphasize is, are you giving the care and support that a student needs to succeed? They're doing that already. So don't feel like we're just putting a whole lot of other things on you. We're just really helping you fine tune skills that you may already have uh, as you've been practicing and teaching and an encouragement for you to be able to do that. Uh, continue to listen, continue to do things with the students. And if you do that, you are being restorative without maybe the exact labeled practice that we may give uh, simply by listening and having an empathetic ear. So in thinking about, you know, the skills that your staff have developed over the years um, to be at this point, I want us to think back maybe a few years and or over the years. And so, Alan, if you're thinking about the staff at Renew, what are the practices that they were able to buy into easily um, or were there challenges in getting um, educators or other staff members to um, buy into working in, with this model? Okay. Well, we've often heard that any type of change system, uh, change uh, management usually takes three to five years to actually happen. So year one is really getting the buy-in and things. And the way it was brought up at the school is the two counselors at the time had come to our training, uh, kind of spying out the possibility of bring, bringing restorative approaches to the school. So after they came to our training, they went back to the school and told them, this is something that we think you need. Uh, so we had uh, mental health professionals with the buy-in. And when we went to the school, it was evident to me that the uh, administration had buy-in and already had a restorative mindset uh, on the, from the top end. As we went down from there, the culture team that was there at the time uh, was tasked with discipline, and they had their hands full uh, and they were implementing what I would say less than a restorative approach as they were dealing with some very challenging uh, students. Uh, they used more of the traditional approaches. Uh, teachers bought in, uh, but they knew that they needed a whole lot of support to deal with the classroom behaviors that they were dealing with as well. Uh, and we had not started, as I shared before, we had not started with that tier two support for teachers in the classroom. 
uh, until uh, the second year and going into the third year. So they didn't have as much support. I was primarily working with the referrals that were coming in. Uh, what's interesting, though, uh, is I think about the culture team. When I first started doing some trainings with them, I definitely felt a little resistance because they knew what they were doing. Uh, they had some effectiveness, they believed, in some areas. And I remember some pushback that I received uh, from them as they felt like uh, what I was bringing in was challenging some of the practices that they were already using. Uh, and what's interesting about that, and we laugh about it now, is one of the uh, culture team members who gave a lot of pushback as time went on, he actually has become an advocate for restorative approaches. Uh, and we do laugh. He was the one who ended up getting trained at the school to do um, uh, facilitate restorative circles themselves, because our goal is to wean the school off of an outside agency and give them the capacity to be able to do it themselves. Uh, so this teacher was actually, I mean, I teach, I'm sorry, the, uh, the, the culture team member actually was trained to facilitate restorative circles himself. Excellent. And the buy-in was there. But it, that first year, uh, it was just them kind of observing what I was trying to do. And it gradually, year by year, I, I believe that it, it increased with the uh, possibility of other people being able to implement it as well. Excellent. Um, as I was saying, there you know, obvious proponents. There's a long history of uh, proponents um, of uh, restorative justice practices in the justice system, and that work has made its way into the school system. Um, and so there are, you know, in some ways, it seems like the research uh, is still behind where implementation actually is. So there are lots of schools all around the country. Um, uh, jurisdiction states that are very invested in restorative practices. And so we're just now starting to get um, some of those um, intensive randomized studies back on, on the results. So what are your thoughts on kind of some of the data that's come back that says that in some school student test scores have declined, especially or particularly for Black students? Um, people thought that uh, restorative practices would do more to reduce um, disparities and suspension gaps. Um, and so as people put these two pieces together, um, uh, how would you respond to people who say that they are concerned about using restorative practices because of um, potential um, declines in scores or uh, that it's perhaps not as effective as they thought it was going to be in reducing uh, disparities in exclusionary discipline usage. Right. Uh, there are challenges to implementing restorative approaches in schools. As I shared before, it is a three to five year process. And when you start implementing it, if you're having trouble maintaining teachers or maintaining people for implementation, it could make it difficult uh, so we recognize that there are a lot of challenges. Uh, one of the articles that you had shared with me before pointed out that there are also challenges to evaluating the use of the whole school approach as a way of building, strengthening, and repairing relationships. Uh, I have been involved with the educational system actually since 1990, and evaluation has often been a challenge for us. Data collection can often be a challenge. Uh, effectively getting all of the discipline incidents that are happening actually being reported. Uh, so we struggle with that. Uh, there's, as I shared before, administrative and staff turnover. And then there are also the competing initiatives uh, that can make it a daunting task to actually fully implement it with fidelity. Um, 
is my experience at Renew reflects uh, system change takes work, a lot of work. Uh, and it is not unrealistic to expect that it's that three to five year process to establish and also longer to be able to uh, maintain with implementation. Uh, in the charter school landscape that we're in in particular, as we are, as is the case here in New Orleans, it's not unusual to see high administrative or faculty and staff turnover that even complicates the commitment to that process. Uh, uh, that being the case, my question is, uh, do we go back to the more punitive approach that does not have the best track record of uh, reducing disproportionality of outcomes for minority students? Uh, we talk a lot about the social discipline window with restorative approaches. Uh, and as the social discipline window, too, outlines, we have to think of ways of doing things with students and the families rather than to them and for them. Uh, we also know that trauma research has shown how re-traumatizing exclusionary practices can be on students with multiple needs. Uh, and a big part of the philosophy of restorative approaches is that we practice I shared this earlier, we practice authentic curiosity to understand and address the needs that exist and that are created by a person's actions. So this helps people to reflect on their behavior and take responsibility for their actions, uh, which often they're not able to do with the more punitive approaches. Um, they're kind of being told what's going to happen to them as a result of their actions, but not really finding out what the cause was and what the impact was on others. Do you have anything to add, Leslie? Um, I was going to say that with restorative approaches, we're building social-emotional skills. Um, and social-emotional skills, there's not a standardized test for that. Um, so I think looking at the literature now, sure, we can look at um, at test scores. Um, but test scores don't define a student. It, don't, it doesn't define who they are, what they can achieve, their mastery, their how their ability to manage conflict. So I think actually that we need to be able to look at the implementation of restorative approaches in schools long-term to see how this approach has affected students um, post-graduation. I think that is my, um, my response to looking at some of the current research is that we just need some more data. And my final thought on that uh, is, as I express the challenges, I think we have to learn from those challenges that we've encountered. So when we are doing uh, evaluation, we should identify what those challenges are and learn from them. Uh, but I don't want to see that we, I don't want to see us throw the baby out with the bathwater is an expression that you often hear because you may know that those challenges exist or so just say it doesn't work. It's important that we learn. How can students learn if they are not in school? So what restorative approach is a big part of it is keeping young people in school and teaching those skills to them and not just putting them out. Uh, we're, we're that safety net to help uh, build them up. It's necessary that we hold children accountable. So restorative approaches is not about holding, not holding them accountable. Uh, we want to hold them accountable for their behavior. Uh, it is harmful when we deprive them of an education because of their behavior. We want them to learn from that. Mm -hmm. I think too, what I like about restorative approaches um, is I think it takes into account the developmental stages of students. Their brains are still developing and part of um, part of that adolescent stage is to take risks and figure that out. And I think with restorative approaches, um, being able to connect like your behaviors with a consequence doesn't have to be an out of school consequence. Um, 
but again, to, to build those social emotional skills to meet students where they are so that they are in school so that they can learn. Um, and my other challenge would be, you know, being at school um, and building those social emotional skills that is as important as learning English and math and social studies. Um, so instead of saying that this is a separate thing, um, in my opinion, it's not. It's the way that we meet our developmental needs of our students as well as their academic needs in the classroom. I appreciate both of your holistic approaches to educating young people um, and, you know, the recognition that um, schools are increasingly, or maybe they always have, but, you know, in our lifetime, schools um, are definitely um, being charged in our communities uh, with supporting um, the growth of young people beyond just academic learning and um increasing attention to social and emotional learning and um, the development of skills that uh, help them outside of the schoolhouse um, and in their communities and in their future careers. And so my last question is, you know, we started off just talking about how the National Center for Youth Opportunity and Justice started working with both of your organizations um, on building connections to uh, behavioral health uh, supports in the community for students as um they um, were deemed necessary. So I just wanted to see if you could talk for a moment about kind of the interplay of these two things that Renew has been working on, this restorative approaches, integration, and also um, the school responder responder model work to uh, connect students, identify students that may have needs and connect them to supports um, either at Renew or in the community. What I've noticed about connecting students to outside service referrals, um, it's something that I would just kind of do, um, and I would kind of have a running list in my head. Um, Again, in that reactive moment, student needs this, make that referral right away. Um, And what I have found, actually, by being a little bit more organized and being a little bit less reactive, um, I've been able to strengthen my relationships with community partnerships um, so that the referral process goes a little bit quicker um, and that community supports are actually a little bit more willing to kind of come into the school um, and meet a student for the first time and get them connected versus going through the whole referral process. So I think for me, it's been really helpful to get more organized, figure out the things that we're actually doing. um, And that in a way allows us to be a little bit more restorative. Instead of being reactive, we're being proactive. Um, I think that's kind of the the phrase that we've come back through a lot, um, instead of waiting for something to happen, um, being very aware of who's in the building. Um, I think also capitalizing on our strengths with our advisory support system um, and our culture team support system of being able to meet students where they are and have really open and honest conversations about what they need. Um, I think personally, part of what we've done with the school responder model is When students are transferring in mid-year, being able to get a really good snapshot of who they are, where they came from, and what their needs are. Um, We're unique um, in our school setting where we accept students year-round. So again, instead of being in that reactive mindset, being always kind of proactive, um, trying to figure out what students need um, versus just um, deciding for them what they might need in an academic setting. And I, I wanted to just wanted to add to um, what I think the benefit of having been uh, involved with the school responder model project was 
Um, the school was already doing restorative approaches. It was really good to have another national organization come in and say, yes, restorative approaches are important. So it really strengthened what was already happening in terms of restorative approaches at the school. I also think uh, one of the products that we created was that flowchart that uh, Leslie mentioned. That flowchart was a big tool. We modified it several times, but to put something in writing, uh, in writing and then modify it when we saw something needed to be changed to it, it's not something that is just stagnant. I've had uh, schools put plans together and they just sit on the shelf after but we created this flow chart and it's living and we're working on it has been tremendous. Uh, the other part, which Leslie mentioned, was the universal screener. They didn't have that before, but being able to get the support uh, of uh, policy research analysts, uh, your, your support of getting the universal screener was a big help. Uh, the last thing that we're still working on, but your emphasis on the family engagement really helped us when we went to the uh, the training in New York, uh, just to have that emphasis being put back on us and give us some other possibilities of what we could, what could be done with family engagement really was, um, I'm saying inspiring, but it was just putting it back in front of us again to know we have some work to do. Uh, that is a hard one. We found out we weren't the only school that struggled with family engagement, uh, but there were some good strategies that were presented then that we could take and bring back to the school. Thank you both so much for your time and expertise. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners and to our special guests. To learn more about Renew Accelerated High School, you can visit their website at rahs.renewschools.org. The Center for Restorative Approaches can be found online at Center for restorativeapproaches.org. To access videos from the family engagement seminar mentioned, view sample flowcharts like the one discussed in this podcast, and for more school responder model resources, take a look at the school responder model virtual toolbox at srm.policyresearchinc.org.